Lord God of mercy and compassion, we pray, we join our hearts in prayers for our children all across this world that are suffering under the hand of violence, under the hand of unjust power systems, under the hands of control, and under the hands of greed. Lord, hear our prayers, we pray. Forgive us and move us to action on behalf of those that truly cannot act on their own. God, break us, we pray, so that those people may have life. God, thank you for these gifts that you have blessed us with, and we pray that we would use them to be a gift to the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I went to the rally on, um, I did a couple things this week, but one of the things that I was on Wednesday night, I was at a prayer vigil and just down the road in front of the governor's mansion um, where we were joined by others from the community, uh, many Latino, Latina um, people there protesting HBL 370, I think it is. Um, And I was in that moment, it was such a profound moment for me. It, it broke me in some ways. I, was, um, I prayed, and then I went to the back and kind of listened to people, and behind me there were beautiful brown-skinned children playing and eating popsicles and playing follow the leader and tag, and, and just in front of me were some of their parents and family members talking about how their lives have been destroyed by government officials taking Mainly fathers, brothers. They told stories about how that the government is targeting men in the communities in order to break down the system. And this is not a new precedent for America. We have done this before with people of color. And I felt in that moment, oh, I have to do more. Like, this is not okay. Like, I have to do more in I have to do more. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But um, just showing up on Sunday and being in church, it's just like, oh, that's like people are suffering in our communities. And they're dying. And their families are being separated and torn apart. And the children don't know who their father is. And we squabble about who has the right to be here and who is right and who is wrong. And my God, my God, can't we be a compassionate people? Can't we be people that are merciful? Can't we be people that find solutions instead of giving one-line slogans? Because people's lives are at stake. Anyway, that's been just rambling in my heart and rambling in my soul. And y'all know me. I, I, I am drawn to justice. I am drawn to places where if there are people who are suffering and being stepped on, then I feel like that is where I need to be. And um, so I'm continually drawn into these spaces, into these spaces. What, what is profound to me is like, they're over there every day. <laughs> they're over there, that community is over there in that same spot every single day, protesting, praying, singing, and praying that God would hear their cries and save their people. So I don't know where that goes. That has nothing to do with sermon today. Um, a hard transition, right? <laughs> we need a commercial break after that and then come back to um, what we need to talk about today. But I, I just wanted to share that with you, is that's kind of been my struggle, my pain, my heartbreak over these 
past few weeks. And it's been like a series of heartbreaks, right? It's like um, the, the injustice that happens to the, the LGBT community, and then the injustice that happens to the, to the Latino community, and then the injustice that happens to the black community, and then the injustice is like this series of like, oh Lord, come. <laughs> oh Lord, please come. And establish your justice here on earth so that all people everywhere can live in peace and flourishing and freedom. And that is our prayer. That is our prayer. I don't know if you have ever read. This morning we are talking about, um, we continue this series on what is the church. And um, this, this morning we're going to begin talking about our strengths. I don't know if you've read this book or not. It's called Living Your, Living Your Strengths. And um, we're, it's, it's just an okay book. Have you, but... <clears throat> Have you ever read those books that are like just okay, but you get a couple things from it, and you're like, hey, that was worth it, you know, that was worth the $15. I got a couple things from that. But one of the things that I got from this book was this idea. I read it, um, it was probably like 10 or 15 years ago. I read it, and what I understood was, what this book tells us is live in your strengths. Find your strengths, find what you're strong at, and live in that. Give your effort and attention to those things. As a society and the people, I think we are trained by society to, um, to, to be like jack of all trades, right? To be good at everything. And so what we do, what we have this tendency to do is find those places where we are, we are weak and try to improve those places where we are weak. But that never really makes us truly strong at something. Like we all have these innate gifts, these, these talents that are within us. And what happens sometimes is we bury those in order to try to be better at what we're not good at. Right? You, ever, you, you with me? Um, this is the definition of strength uh, to them. Uh, a strength is the ability to provide consistent near perfect performance in a given activity. This ability is a powerful, productive combination of talent, skill, and knowledge. What is your strength today? What's your strength? We all have them. You all have them. Every one of us has those things that we are really strong at. But what happens, I think, as we are very young, very young children, and this is what we do to our kids, and this is what society does to us. Like, like we are taught to be strong at certain things, right? So society kind of forms us in that. So, and what the, the way that we do this is by giving accolades. We we give our children accolades when they do the right things that we want them to, and we don't really give them attention if they're doing other good things that we're not really interested in, right? So what happens when a kid makes good grades in school? We're like, yes, you are the best. This is what we are made for. You are made for good grades. What happens when a kid doesn't make good grades? Why aren't you making better grades? You got it. But like, honestly, as adults, we realize, right? Some people are, are, like, they're pretty good at math and science that we get graded on. And some of us, we have our gifts in other places, right? To be kind. But, but like, but we usually don't give accolades for those other places. It's math, science, and reading. And if you're not good at those, then, like, you're broken and something's wrong with you. And so what we do at a very young age is we, even if we're not good at those things, we begin to mold ourselves and give all of our attention to be good at the things that we're not necessarily good at because that seems what society wants us to do, how, what our parents want us to do, what our grandparents want us to do. They want us to be good at math, science, and English. But this is just one example. We do this all over the place. But oftentimes, people who are children who have this like innate 
kindness and compassion in them. We don't always encourage that. We're like, well, that's nice, but what are your grades like, right? It's like my daughter, Emma, she is one of the, like this deep, deep kindness inside of her. I'm like, where did you get that from? Because you are my child, and like, I don't even know where that came from. But, but like, it, it's like, it is so kind, and I'm always encouraging her in that. Like, this is a beauty. This is a beautiful thing that God has created in you, and I want you to know it's enough. Like, whatever in life is, like, you are enough. You're enough. But we don't, we don't tell each other that very often, do we? Because we live in this world of you are not enough. You're not enough in this, and you're not enough in this, and you're not enough in this. And so what we do is we drag all of us down, we drag each other down, because we're not enough in those things. What if as a society we found the places that you are, like you are great at, if we lived in this place of living in your strengths? So when I read this book, it was like a revelation to me of, 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 in like this space because like in a profession, we have this tendency to like try to be good at all the things, right? But what do you find the most successful people? The most successful people in business, what do you find? You find that they're successful at one, they're good at one thing and they keep doing that one thing over and over and over again and they don't even worry about the other things that they're not very good at. They're like, well, I don't care. Um, we're gonna have other people do that, Right? And, but, but what happens sometimes, even in the church, we find, we find people who are like, we're serving in the church and like, oh, we, we have to be good at everything. But maybe, what if, what if a church is not good at everything? What if a church is good at a couple things? And like, let's do those couple things really, really, really good. Because, because what the reality of life is, that if we would focus on what we're good at, like me focus what I'm good at, you focus what you're good on it, what that does is provide space for other people who are good at other things to step into that space. But if we try to be good at everything, then those people that are really, really gifted at certain things may be like, oh, well, you know, that's covered. That's covered. So for me, what I've tried to do in my professional life, which is pastoral life, is to really focus most of my attention on what I'm really good at. And my thought is, by me focusing on what I'm really good at, we will be blessed because that's what I'm good at, and we'll be blessed in that, And then that gives space for other people to be good at what they're good at. And I can be honest and be like, well, you know what? I'm not very good at that. I need some help there. So how are we going to, how do we find people who are really good at that and empower them and encourage them to do that thing? When we think about this, we, we think about like living life to the fullest, right? So this is connected to living life to the fullest, in my mind at least, because we are taught early on that living life to the fullest is like certain things. So, so what does it mean to live life to the fullest? What does that mean to you? What has society told us to live life to the fullest? Travel, make a lot of money, right? Be happy. But what happens when we get, when you, have you ever felt like I'm now living life to the fullest? You ever felt like that? Probably not, because it's like a moving target, isn't it? It's a moving target. You do that thing that you thought would make your life the fullest, and you're like, okay, that was good, but I still feel like there's more. There's more. There's something else that I'm not living for that I haven't found yet. So when we try to live life to the fullest, we probably won't ever live life, because we'll always be searching for that next thing and not realizing what's in front of us right here right in front of us. So that all brings me into with our text today, which 
may or may not make sense. We will see. Uh, But Galatians 5, and we've heard this. It's about the fruits of the Spirit, but maybe today let's hear it in a little bit different way. Galatians 5, 13, it says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For this entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh man, I wish we'd get that, right? If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are, not, they, are, they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Hmm. But that's kind of like what we, have, what we value freedom. We think freedom is the ability to do whatever we want. But maybe that's not freedom at all. Maybe we're still living enslaved to the self in that space. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Oh my! I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us now keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of God for us and all the people of God. So here we see this idea that, 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 you know, if you've been around in church, you've heard a lot. Like, don't give in to the ways of the flesh, like the ways of the flesh. Those are the ways that will kill us and destroy us, the sinful nature. And so what happens, like, here, what, 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 what are these? I began to think about these and like, well, these, these are just words. I mean, there's not a lot of people practicing witchcraft in, in like, I don't think. Um, I don't think many of you are having orgies out there. Um, I hope not, but maybe. I don't know. Um, maybe this is for you today. Um, but <clears throat> but what, what, what's the connecting dots here? What are, what, are the, what are the dots that connect all of these? I think the dots that connect all of these is these are, listen, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. What all of these are, and when, when Paul was writing them, were, were ways that we could take from each other. So all these things hurt one another. So if we did one of these things, you go down the list, whatever it is, it, that, that they took from somebody. They saw other people as instruments of exploitation like so my life is not full enough i need to take something from your life in order to feel better about my own worth because i feel pretty lousy right now and the only way that i can feel better the only way that i can feel life to the full the only way i can feel like i'm living my best life is to take from that person they've got something i want and so i'm going to take it from them or i'm going to manipulate either the gods 
or humanity in order to get what I want in this situation. And all of these things, I think, fit into that category. Because a lot of them had to deal with the temple, the temple system and the, the worship system. And, and, and so here Paul is talking about how are you going to live? Are you going to live in this state where you're always trying to get something from somebody because you are not satisfied with your life? And so in order to feel better about yourself, you're going to take from somebody else. You're going to exploit. You're going to injure. You're going to hurt. You are not going to value that other person as an image bearer of God and your brother or sister as a human. You are going to see them as an instrument of your pleasure. And so you're going to take from them. But what these things do As Paul says, like, if you live this way, you're never going to inherit the kingdom of God. But of course, because the kingdom of God is like the way of God's justice. You're never going to get there. You're never going to see it. You're never going to experience it. You're never going to embrace it. Because these things are an investment in despair and misery. And if you sow misery, you will reap misery. If you give despair, you will get despair. This is like what we're seeing in our country right now. We we see our politicians giving a lot of despair, and then how are we responding? With a lot of despair. Like, if you give despair, you will get it back. You reap what you sow. That's like one of these universal languages, I think, universal rules. I think it really is. And so here, Paul is saying, you're never going to experience God's fullness for your life, which is the kingdom of God, if you live in this space. Because you are living in the lowest common denominator of humanity. You are going down to the lowest thing, to the very despair of humanity. Because you are going to hurt and destroy and to kill one another in order to get what you think you should have. And that life, which many would say, well, that's freedom. I can do whatever I want. My four-year-old daughter keeps telling me, I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Yes, I can. I can do whatever I want. Okay, then go do that. Oh, (laughs) oh gosh. Okay, I see now the consequences for doing that thing. That they often end in despair. So we're like, hey, I'm free. I'm free people. We can do whatever we want. And, but maybe that's not freedom at all. Because if a freedom, if we have a freedom and we see our freedom is in hurting and exploiting each other, we are going to live in the chains of despair. And so Paul here is saying, hey, listen, you've been given freedom, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to hurt one another. Because that will only enslave you to a whole new area of despair and destruction. We have, this, we have this tendency, like, but, but like, look, like, look, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, look, what, what, is, what is holding these things together? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What, what, what's the, what's, I, I, I think they're holding that together is that when we live like that, we are giving worth to other people. We are saying, when we live in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, self-control, patience, 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 that's the worst. That's the hardest one, right? Patience. So we need to say it over and over. Like, like, when we live like that, we are giving value and worth to everyone around us. 
We are blessing with gifts of goodness to those people around us. We are sowing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. There's a kid song that goes like that, right? What are we going to get back? What, you're going to get those things back into your life. It may not be immediate, but you are going to reap them back because we reap what we sow. In life, we have this tendency to pull each other down, don't we? We have this tendency to pull each other down, and the church is the worst at this. Like, 20th century evangelism basically went something like this. Hey, do you know Jesus? No. Um, well, you're going to go to hell, and... Um, you're a terrible person, and you're a liar, a thief, and you're no good, and you're a filthy rags, and you're a miserable human being, and you should feel really bad about yourself. But wait, <laughs> I've got the answer for you. <laughs> In three easy steps, you can receive Jesus, and all that can be gone away. Right? That's like 20th century evangelism. Like The church's model, the church's strategy to get people to be part of the church was we need to make people feel as bad about their lives as we possibly can. We need to point out every mistake they've ever made. We need to point out every place that they're not good. And we need to hammer that down on people so that we make people feel so miserable about themselves that finally they'll come to church. <laughs> That's not a very good strategy in life in general. But that's what we've done because in some way I think the church and as Christians, we have felt generally miserable about ourselves because that's how we came into the faith. We're feeling miserable about ourselves and we'll keep feeling miserable about ourselves. And so in order to justify our feelings, we need to, bring, we need to drag somebody else down and then have them say, hey, I'll agree with you. I'll believe what you believe. So that affirms our faith, that affirms our beliefs. And then we feel like, okay, I'm generally right about this. I can feel good about myself for a minute because I led somebody to Jesus, but then I come back to church on Sunday and I hear the pastor talk about how bad I am, and now, like, I gotta go tell somebody else how bad they are in order to feel better about myself. Like, it's, it's a whole spiral. And now, like, this is, this is the church in America to a large degree. We pull each other down. But I think Jesus, <laughs> I kind of had this mental image of, of, like, us doing evangelism, tearing people down, and then Jesus over here, like, Hey, y'all, um, <laughs> no, I already said that that person was good and worthy and I died for them already. So you don't need to drag them down because Jesus is saying, I think they're pretty great. And so the fruits of the Spirit here are this life of giving worth to people, reminding people that you are valuable and you are worthy and you are good and you are beautiful and I'm going to sow love into you and I'm going to sow joy into you because you're worth it because God has said you are worth it because you are a child of God and so here in this space Paul is reminding us how to be Christians how to do faith how to do life so freedom Paul is saying is this ability this, this space to bless other people to give life to give worth to other people. I think, um, so, so, so how do we do that? How do we do that? So what, how's a practical example? I, I almost, um, we went to the farmer's market yesterday and I bought some peaches and I brought some peaches to like give away as a symbol of the fruit, but then I started eating the peaches and they were like, <clears throat> I don't have any more peaches left to give anybody because they were so good. And so I don't have any peaches left for you, but <laughs> I want you to get that image of Use your imagination, class. 
peach, fruit of the Spirit. So I thought, like, how do we do that as people? How do we do that as people? I think one way we do that as people is to say, I am proud of you. God loves you. I mean, isn't this what, the, isn't this what people want? People want to know that, like, you are valuable. I am proud of you, and God loves you, and I love you too. Like, isn't this, what if the church lived like that? Instead of trying to drag everybody down that we see, we're like, you are awesome. You are awesome. You are great. God is so proud of you. God loves you. God loves you. And you are good. That fruit to the world. Instead of giving the fruit an old rotten peach that's been stepped on and, and dragged in the dirt, and we're like, here, we have a gift for you. <laughs> the world's like, that's not a gift, yo. <laughs> that's not a gift. That's trash. Thank you very much. But what if we, like, we gave that joy to the world? We gave that love to the world, that we were patient with the world as people try to figure out their life, because we're all trying to figure out our life, and we just, we were patient with each other. This is not, this is not the sort of patience, like, we've dumbed this down to, I'm standing in the grocery line, and I'm feeling really frustrated right now because I got to go, and there, this person is trying to pay by a check. Do y'all remember that? Anybody remember that? When people tried to pay by check in the, in the, in the checkout line, um, millennials are like, what's a check? <clears throat> right? But that was the worst. This is not talking about that sort of patience. This is a patience of people are trying to figure out their life, and we're going to give them space to do it in the church. You can come in here. We know that you don't have life figured out yet. We still got stuff going on out there, but we're going to be patient with you, and we're going to love you anyway. We're going to have self-control not to blast you with our blasters of judgment when things don't go right. We're going to have patience and self-control, and, and we're not going to devour each other. We're going to be kind, and we're going to be good. This, I think, is giving the world the gift of the Spirit This is what we're called to do, church. This is what the church is about. This is what we should be. Not dragging each other down, but finding ways to lift each other up. Today, how can you live like that? You all have a strength and a gift. And some of you have the strength to to do this and to do that and to do this out in the world and to do these things in the church, but all of us, have one of these strengths of the gifts of the Spirit. We all have those. And what if we encourage that in one another? Like some of you, like, blow my mind of how kind you are in this, in this congregation right here. You come in this space and your smile and your hugs, you light up this room. Yes, keep doing it. You are the batteries of open table. You keep this place going. Some of you have the gift of of love. You just love people. And like, I don't even know how you love people like that. Yes, keep doing it. Some of you are the most patient people in the world. I am not very patient a person. This is not my strength. I'm not. But some of you are so, keep doing it. Live in that space. 
Be faithful to one another. Be kind to one another. Sow love in each other's life. Have self-control. When we want to rage when things aren't right, let us have the self-control and the patience to see love always wins. Joy will win this day. Love will win this day. Kindness will win this day. Now, that doesn't mean we're a bunch of pushovers. It doesn't mean that at all. It can mean we can stand in some really hard spaces and stand up for people who have been crushed and and stepped on by the powers of empire. That means we can stand with love. That to me is what love is about. That we can stand with people and sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of those, the world, those who need us. This is what the calling of the church is. And Paul says at the end, let us not be conceited thinking we're better than other people. That's what conceited is, right? Let's not ever get to that point to think that we're better than somebody else. Old church, right? The church in America thinks we are better than other people. That people are lesser and lower than us because they don't believe what we believe. Paul's like, don't get to that place because that will only reap misery for your life. But don't be conceited. Don't provoke envy in each other. I think our pursuit should not be living life to the fullest. Because I think that is an endless pursuit that we're never going to get to the end. We're never going to find the satisfaction in that. I think our life should be a pursuit of a life to the fruitiest. I'm sorry, I just said that. A life to the fruitiest. A life full of the fruit of the Spirit. That should be our pursuit in our life. And when we see people living in that, we should encourage them, right? When we see our children living like that, we should encourage them and say, that you made such, that was so an amazing thing that you did there. You shared, you blessed, you did that. And we, like, somehow, as adults, we think that we're not kids anymore, but we're all still kids. We're all still in kindergarten trying to figure out how to share, right? trying to figure out how to be kind to one another, try to figure out how to not be bullies to each other. And so when we see each other with those behaviors, we should encourage each other and say, yes, I saw you do that thing, and that was such a blessing, and I was encouraged by it, and I learned something from you in that. Good job. Let's be the church that throws the goodness to the world. Let's give the gift of goodness to the world. I think if we live like that, That the world will see and they'll be like, wow, this is a different kind of Christianity than I've ever heard in my life. Not something trying to rip me down, but something that actually believes in me. Something that is pushing me up. Something that that is saying I am good and worthy and valuable. Let us remind the world that the world is valuable because God has said so. Not because we've said so, but because God has declared it to be so. Today, what's your strength? How have you been sowing misery in other people's lives in the world? And how today can you sow goodness, love, joy in the lives of those around you? And I bet you'll reap those same things. Today, let's be committed to being that sort of church. A church of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks and grace for this day and for your...